Our guest today is lead singer, keyboardist, and the man behind the prog group Big Elf. I'd like to welcome Damon Fox to the show. Damon, thanks for being here today. Thanks a lot. It's good to, good to be talking to you. Yeah, man, appreciate it. So uh, so you're out in L.A. permanently? I mean, the weather's killer around this time, I bet. It's uh, Well, it's actually it's been raining the last couple of days, but can never complain with uh, Los Angeles weather. It's good to be, uh, well, I'm in Florida, so it's good to be either here or in L.A., and as opposed to anywhere else right now, it seems like. Yeah, the only thing I, the only place it beats it, I think, is Maui, which is 81 degrees, 365 <laughs> days a year. Yeah, right, nice. <laughs> it's nice here. So I guess, you know, congrats on the upcoming uh, new album, Into the Maelstrom, uh, comes out March 4th, so you're getting, I'm sure, things ready for the release, and you just had the new uh, single come out, Control Freak. Uh, yeah, I mean, what's it's going actually on April. It's it, unfortunately it's been the March fourth is in um, Europe. It's actually been bumped to April first in the oh, states. Oh, really? Unfortunately. Okay. Yeah. But All right. Cool. We've got two kind of cool dates: March fourth, which is I think the only date that's a statement, and then we have April Fools, which is kind of cool as well. Everyone's <laughs> asking me. It's not a joke, right? You actually have a record. Coming yeah, you're out. gonna you're gonna get a lot of that, I'm sure. <laughs> you're actually not pulling one over on us again. <laughs> So, so I mean, what's going on with with uh, the release and just sort of the craziness around around this time for you? Yeah, it's just been you know getting uh, getting the machine kind of ramped up again and getting all all operating systems turned on. We've been a little bit um, you know dormant as a group and as an entity for a little while, so it's nice to get the press and and um, you know getting all the interviews together for the record and just making people aware that 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 you know. One, it's still a band. Two, there's a new record, and there's a lot of excitement behind that. And you know, figuring out the live proposal and presentation, and what the options are for for the future. You know, the record's coming out soon, but we don't have anything planned directly on the drop of the record, which is usual. But we're just a tiny bit behind <laughs> on that. I wanted to um, before we get into you know the record and and all that um, how it got put together and how you guys came came back together uh, you know go back a little bit to the history of the band because um, sure. I want to make sure everybody knows what you guys are about so how did you personally get started and then how did you end up putting this group together originally I think when you're a teenager and you're getting into those those uh, you know, formative years and really um, sort of the genesis of what you're you know you're gonna be as a musician or an artist or ever. I, I remember thinking about things like Big Elf and I, okay, at the time, maybe in the 80s, late 80s, even as, a, as an early teen, um, I'd always equated to wanting to be like the Beatles. I always thought like, man, if I could be like Abbey Road, that would be so cool. Like if I could do that. And it just seemed impossible at the time because the Beatles were the, you know, the Beatles. Right. <laughs> and, and at the time, you know, this is pre-anthology. Um, so, you know, the Beatles really, it wasn't, though it was part of obviously pop culture and everything, it wasn't people that like, talked about the Beatles that much back then. And to remind people, from my point of view, like nobody actually talked about Black Sabbath either. You know, I remember when we first started Big Elf and there was those big heavy riffs in there. It, it wasn't like a com, as common as it seems now. Yeah, um, I think you're right. You know, people, I mean, yes, of course, Black Sabbath is, you know, it's one of the pillars and the the main origin of heavy metal music, but in the context of, like, 1989, nobody was really thinking about Black Sabbath anymore. They kind of had a, you know, the deterioration of the lineup and, and all the different singers. It, it wasn't something that people thought about that much because everyone was focused on new music, you know, rap and 
um, you know, kind of the origins of new metal were starting up with Rage and Faith the More and Chili Peppers and fun, funk and metal and all that stuff was happening, and grunge was about to happen. Jane's Addiction, even like you know, eighties metal was was getting tired. Right. So it's it just like I remember when I was kind of kind of I think Big Alpha is sort of a reaction of what was going on at the time. And I, I'm, I'm part of a. I think Big Elf is kind of a, re, uh, a spike in genre, um, his, historical genre. You know, spikes when there's like certain things that happen, and it's it's kind of like 1989, 1990. Here comes like, you know, I'm just name a, a bunch of groups, whether it's stoner, you know, um, southern rock, retro rock, pop, power, power pop. You know, it's like Jellyfish, Black Crows, Lenny Kravitz, Red Cross. Even bands like uh, you know Alice in Chains are kind of turning on the Sabbath a little bit with Man in the Box, and everyone's kind of looking back a little bit hmm. at that time, I think. And that's that's kind of the origins of Big Elf, and I think that that origin right then is like guys like myself born from like '64 to '70, and you just get to that point at like 20 to 24 where you're like, man, music is not. There's just, there was something happening, and that's that's the the long answer to the origins of it. Just wanting to do something that and it was kind of like different, and there was that feeling of wanting to get back to an analog sound and a vintage sound and right. what was what was really wrong with like making music in that way because it seemed to go so different from that. But to make it as an art form, though, not like remember when like Tears for Fears or. Um, the Tears for Fears would have a song like one they had that one song sowing the seed that was kind of beatly. Yeah. Um, or that like one band would have a, like a song that was kind of had like a twist of a of a retroism in it. You know, oh that kind of reminds me of this. You know, uh, I think I think there were bands at that time, and we were certainly one of them. Was it's just kind of conjuring that, you know, doing it as a style. You know, as people kind of tried to redo punk, or people tried to redo the blues, or people tried to, you know, in the early '80s, mid '80s, there was a little bit of a psychedelic renaissance um, in the underground. Uh, this was this was a retro thing where I think people were like, "We're going to copy production styles. We're going to focus on this as a style." I think it's the birth of like even even look at uh, into the late '60s, Sean and It's like the, probably the first retro group right. actually copying the '50s. Well, with that, did did the use of the sort of heavy organ and the way you guys write songs, did that come after your idea that I want to do this sort of retro band, or or that's just your normal it, it, writing style? Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean it was kind of like you know, like I said, when you're young, you're just you're just trying to find the right people to play with. Um, previous to Big Elf, it, you know, I had some riffs and. Um, Rich and uh, the original bass player and I, Rich Anton, we had some riffs which would later like be following bombs and change and closer to doom and things like that from the first you know couple records. But it it it, it kind of at the time it sounded a little bit more like cult electric maybe. Right. Yeah, kind of heavy. Still had that like kind of mysterious, trippy hippie goth thing to it. But it was, we were, we just you know we weren't focused. I had no no idea what we were doing. <laughs> and it was just, it was just, it was just. I think at some point you, you, you get some sort of light, you know, a light bulb goes off, and that that light bulb for me was definitely Big Elf. And and the keyboards were originally. I've been telling a lot of people with Into the Maelstrom that I, you know, I, I played all the guitar on the record, all the rhythm guitars, and most most of the most of the solos I knew guitarist uh, Louise played like a handful of stuff. But um, you know, the band the band Big Elf was originally me playing guitars, kind of like a trio. 
and we were deciding whether to get a keyboardist or whether I should play keys because I really was, you know, not a, not a Rick Wakeman or something. I didn't have lessons or anything. It was just, you know, I could I could play probably like John Lennon or something. Right. You know, play play a cool bit on the Mellotron, play some piano bits like Bob McCartney, but not a Keith Emerson kind of guy. I didn't have that kind of training. I didn't have that background. I was more into rock and roll and writing songs and, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, the Hammond, the Mellotron, it was all part of the, the initial blueprint of, like, we got to bring this in because, you know, I was really into Ken Hensley and Mariah Heap and Vincent Crane's, one of my big all-time favorite organist from uh, Atomic Rooster and you know of course John Lord is like the fucking godfather of all right. things Hammond organ um, and to sort of, you know to kind of incorporate that and it wasn't it wasn't completely like sitting down with like graph paper you know and writing it out but it, like anything else anyone's trying to conjure up something that's what you know that's what we were trying to do and a lot of people ask about about that origin and I think it was just like what's that instrument at the beginning of Strawberry Fields Oh, it's right. Mellotron. We got to fucking get that. That's so, amazing. So how did you end up, you know, like you're saying, you're not being a, a trained keyboardist. So how did you end up being, uh, you know, with that unique sort of uh, way you stand on stage? You got the keyboards on both sides, which I, I, I hadn't really seen anybody do that I can think of. Um, you know, the, yeah, the, only, the, the thing is, yeah, it's like I started playing keys um, and guitar at the same time. I was playing both you know, a couple of songs of guitar and occasionally I'd have my hand on the key and then go, you know, go to the guitar for the chorus or something like that in the early days. Um, and I originally, funny, it's an interesting question because people don't ever ask me things that um, in depth, but um, I originally used to set up in an L like most keyboardists. Right. You know, you set yourself the keyboards around and, and sort of being a singer, I felt that it was pretty, I always felt like there was a disconnect with the audience because they had this big kind of organ in front of me. Right. And I think I'd seen, and the original concept, the truth of it, was I saw Knife Edge by ELP. And though Keith Emerson didn't really play with two hands on both keyboards, he just had them side by side mm -hmm. so everybody could see him do his antics and stuff. Because he would either be like on the organ or rocking the Moog or on the little um, extra organ, t tilting it over, stabbing it, you know, flipping the reverb strings, you know, all that stuff. But it was, it wasn't really both hands because that. You know, well, and, that and, I, and obviously he wasn't singing, so that that's a different, that's a whole different element. Right, you, but I, I saw that. that formation and I thought, well, that that's it. That I should do that because that you know that would be. And of course, I had no idea how hard it would be because you know the whole <laughs> the whole element of keyboards putting keyboardists putting keyboards on top of you know, another keyboard, and then having an L is your eyes can immediately be looking at both keyboards. And I was at a, a like a third um, deficiency off of that because I actually don't ever look at my keyboards because I'm constantly looking at the audience. So right. it was beyond. I mean, to be honest, way beyond the stratosphere of my fucking skill set. <laughs> so <laughs> I just. I, I just I just went for it, and I'm you know like I still struggle with it like in in a, in a sort of dormant phase right now. It, it's a full tai chi kind of crouching tiger hidden dragon performance when I when I play because my my everything I do is I think it's pretty it's eccentric. It's not it's unique to me. There's not that many guys that are singing doing what I'm doing. Right. Like I'm, I'm you know my Leslie like most organists who play Hammond on stage, maybe the, you know, a friend of mine, Rami Jaffe, the, those guys of the world who, you know, bring a 
Hammond B3 out with the Wallflowers or whoever. You know, the, the, the Leslie switch is on the left, is on the Hammond. It's, it's right near the left side for your left hand as your right hand's playing. That never works for me because my left hand's always on the Mellotron. So huh. I would... I didn't I put, think about that. Yeah, that's, that's, that yeah no, be... the, the Leslie switch for me has always been with, on my right foot. And, okay. and, and, and usually, historically, and, you know, probably 99% of the time, the Hammond organ has a volume pedal underneath the organ. Because you sit down and you play and you you, you kind of uh, you sit in it, you know, but that doesn't work for me because I'm standing. So the volume pedal kind of has to be near the mic stand, like a guitar player. So if those things aren't there, like that's how I, you know, that's how I play. So it's every set, you know, whether it's you know playing uh, fucking Mad Hatter or whatever the song is, you know, it's a, it's a just you know from a guitarist's point of view, a guitarist would know this or a drummer would know that when you're. When you're doing the hi hat, you know, I go to the ride here. A guitarist is going to turn on his phaser. It's all this, that same part happens every night for the guitarist. It's a right. foot. It's a dance. I have the same thing. Unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, when that, it, it, I never realized that once I started to build it, that that would sort of be the template that I had to work from. And it, for instance, like on the boat, I actually have to play just a stock Hammond. So I'm going to be like sticking my leg underneath when I can to change the volume of the Hammond, which is that's like taking away the hi hat pedal. To a drummer, to me, so it it's a, it's a, it's it's crazy. Right, you're not you're not gonna be able to have your own full setup on on the I, boat, right? No, no, not gonna have the full setup, but not even that. That's one thing, but also I won't even I won't even be able to things like that, like the volume pedal. That's a huge thing. Like guitar, I've seen guitarists complain that the you know they're trying to solo and the the, the, the speakers aren't responding correctly and they can't get the feedback or whatever, you know. Think, think about taking away a guitarist volume pedal. Right. If you, if you, I mean, that's what I'm sort of dealing with. They're putting it, you know, hey, I got to do the volume pedal over near the amp. I got to walk over there and change it when I want to. <laughs> right. But then I can't touch the Wawa at the same time. Things like that. Um, it's an incredibly in depth answer, but that's. Those no, are, that's yeah, God's it, interesting. It's, yeah. It's, yeah, just that's what's. Uh, I, that when I started to, to do the lead singer keyboard keyboardist thing, there, there's you know there's like a handful of guys. There's you know Steve Walsh from Kansas. There's obviously um, um, it was quite popular in the '60s to have a lead singing keyboardist guy like the Naz, Iron Butterfly. But it, it, you know Stevie Winwood. It's not it's not incredibly common though. No, it's not the lead instrument these days, really, unless no. unless you're singer songwriter or playing a piano or something. Maybe. Yeah, that's still, but then that has its own yeah. that has its own realm. But if you get into like a rock band with a guy doing keys lead um, as as a lead instrument, and then as as the lead singer, it's it's. I don't actually, to be honest, I don't think about it that much. And then someone tells me, you know, this is pretty kind of bizarre. Like nobody does this, and I think. Maybe that's what's not clicking with the outfit. It's just so odd. It's, it's kind of like the singer from Jellyfish being a stand-up drummer. Right, exactly. People were like, what? And I, I always thought, that's insanely cool. Like, wow. Yeah, that was that, one of my favorite bands, too. Uh, yeah, I always thought that was insanely cool. And I know Jason and Roger for years. Like, you know, but, you know, who, who knows? You know, So I've always thought, hopefully people see that as like a unique thing. But that's definitely, you know, an Achilles heel with Big Elf is just... Some similar or another throughout the years, us our sort of blueprint of uh, what we do, the hybrid of styles, the sort of uniqueness that Big Elf has, has definitely been on the Achilles heel for us because we don't fit in certain genres. 
Yeah, but you know that's that's the cool part. So, so I know. think it is. Yeah. So I, I haven't I haven't I haven't strayed away from that. I've just been trying to, like I said, widen the, uh, the make the gap a little wider right. to get through so we can fit. But well, it's, it's, well, one interesting thing of, uh, about that point actually, and um, is that I didn't realize you guys were on the same label as James Blunt, right? Is that is that right? Um, yeah, with the yeah with Chita Gallows when we when we did that with Linda Perry. With Linda Perry, how was that yeah. whole? Uh, I mean, how'd you end up getting hooking up with Linda Perry? And um, for those you know those who don't know, a major songwriter with Christina Aguilera and Pink and all that stuff. Um, you know, how'd you end up uh, getting signed with her and and that whole period? Yeah, Linda was. Um, you know, I met Linda years ago at a vintage music store here in L.A., and she just kind of came in, and we just kind of hit it off like from the from the moment we met. Um, usually in the music store, um, you know, I was pretty jaded back then, um, dealing with musicians every day. And for some reason, I, you know, with her, we just, we were really funny with each other. And, and, and she immediately, like, not too long after that, asked Big Elf if we wanted to work with Pink. Because mm-hmm. she was just starting to work on that first record that, that um, Get the Party Started. And we were kind of—I was kind of hesitant at the time because Pink wasn't like rock star, cool, alternative, opening for Lenny Kravitz kind of chick yet. She was just that R and B, pink-haired, you know, kind of right. teeny bop yeah. thing. She hadn't reinvented the, the, you know, working with Tim Armstrong on her second record and stuff like that. It, she wasn't that yet. Right. So, but we did some songs. It was kind of cool. They actually never saw the light of day because the label thought it was too real sounding. <laughs> um, but. No, Linda. Linda just she she liked Big Elf from the from the get go and wanted to work on the Hex record, and that just didn't. Um, we were already having something going happening in Sweden at the time, and when she the gal was kind of rolled around, she you know we were just like let's do this, and she was just a you know a crazy supporter of of us and kind of was just really there for us in a time when we needed a, a solid figure to to kind of push the go buttons, you know, like really make something happen. And, 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 and hence, I think that's why we're here today. She's definitely one of the reasons, you know, when Ms. Portnoy came along and, and, and invited us just, you know, happenstance, like a tour manager friend played him cheat the gallows. And he's like, progressive nation, you guys have to be on it. Right. And we were like, yeah, fucking cool. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, Linda made it possible though. That's why I first, uh, that's why I first saw you guys play was on that tour. Yeah, um, I think it was you guys in was it Zappa playing Zappa? Was that yeah the same one? Yeah, and uh, yeah. So is that how the relationship sort of started with you and, and Mike? That was that was pretty much the, yeah the origins. It was just you know I of course knew Dream Theater, but I didn't I, I never met Mike, and he's a he's quite an encyclopedia of music. So he was you know just astonished and shocked that Big Elf had been around all these years and that he'd never heard of us. Hmm. And, uh, you know, that is always depressing to me when I, I've, I get, like, one one more layer of the onion peels back and I go, man, this is how, you know, sometimes I think, yeah, we're really getting somewhere. And then I realize, yeah, the band is still pretty underground when guys like Mike have never heard of us. It's right. like, hmm. You know, and he's, you know, he's pretty up on it. He knows music. Um, but, yeah, he just, it was really uh, it's, uh, an amazing opportunity to be able to do but not only the Progressive Nation U.S., but the Progressive Nation, the, the European leg, and then we also did South America Dream Theater, and we went to Canada, and it was just insane. You know, a total dream come true playing Wembley Arena. It was, it was just, you know, you can't even... 
he can't even put it into words for for a band like us because yeah, I mean, it really broadens the audience like crazy. I mean, so okay, so let's the new album. Um, so you, I guess you guys, you took a little break, uh, for a couple of years, and then how did you decide to get back to doing a new record? And uh, at, at what point did Portnoy kind of get involved? Yeah, a uh, little bit of little bit of um, backstory. The the break wasn't necessarily taking a break. Um, it wasn't something that was you know planned for us to say, hey, we're gonna you know take a break because we've been working. The uh, it was more of a uh, you know a perfect storm of of issues and problems that kind of happened. And basically, I kind of the band had disbanded, and there was really no big elf at that point. So. I was trying to figure out how to keep it going, and that's kind of where the where the Portnoy story kind of starts, um, because I had to. I, I think I was getting like a, I was feeling a lot of unhappiness about the band because we, it was it was kind of a struggle to get that to that next level. It was always a struggle to get somewhere with it, and you know you do the best you can do, and all the guys in the band have all been like brothers, you know. So you, you, everyone put their heart and soul into something, and if you can't make any money at it. You know how, how do you keep it going? Right. And you know, you know, throw on a couple life problems that have nothing to do with music. Maybe with you know, Ace had a few things. I had a few things that had nothing to do with the guys in the band. Combined with your normal band tension that happens after ten or fifteen years of playing together, and you know, it 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 comes to a, a boiling point of like I can't do this. You know. So Mike would call and go, "Hey man, what's up with the new record?" <laughs> <laughs> I'd say there is no new record. He goes, "Man, I'm Jones, and I gotta hear some shit." And, you know, send me some, what do you got, some demos? I go, the only way you're going to hear some new music is if you play on it. So, because right now it's, there's, there's nothing. I'm not even doing Big Elf. And he was like, oh, that's, you, you can't give up kind of thing. And, you know, that meant a lot to me. And he'd call me, he's like, you know, you you, you can't, you you have to kind of keep this going. You know, there's there's so much out there. We did all those tours. You were just on a roll kind of thing. And it, those are the embryos. You know, that was the embryo state of like thinking about, well, if I did it, you know, okay, so Portnoy played drums, that would work. Even though I had no idea whether it would be, you know, fire, I mean, like, a, the chem, whether the chemistry would be right. Mike's totally different drummer from our previously amazing drummer, Steve Frothingham. So it was like, you know, a lot of just kind of going on intuition and kind of shooting in the dark, you know, knowing that Mike could obviously handle the technical side of it, but Big Elf's never been about the technical side. It's always about the vibe. Mm-hmm. So that was really a, how, you know, I knew that it would be probably a little more powerful, a little more aggressive, because that's how Mike is as a, you know, as a person, as a drummer. So kind of went with that. And I just, you know, I've been talking to the bass player, Big Elf Duffy, we, we kind of remained friends through all the turbulence and whatnot. And I said, you want to do this? Let's kind of do this. So we just kind of just started to put place, you know, <laughs> bricks one at a time it was it was unfortunately like a slow process so how long did it take to to write it and and record it and get it to to this point in that way not too long but if you look at say like summer of 2010 everyone was anticipating like a 2011 album you know kind of keep keep the momentum going so like then went completely defunct at that point you know for reasons many reasons like i said perfect storm kind of thing with all these scenarios Ace quit the band in the summer of 2011, and that was kind of like, okay, not gonna, we're done. Probably talked to, I don't remember when we were talking about it, but we recorded the drums with Mike in April of 2012, 
and that was just a very quick week here in Los Angeles when he had, when he was out here one time. I recorded all the demos and sent it to him, and really just like I said, shooting shooting blindly in the dark, just going for it with like you know, using the force with the with the with the with the with the shield down, you know, just kind of with your eyes eyes closed. Because um, usually, I mean, usually records are made. I mean, you know, people make records all different ways. I mean, but when 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 you hear like Sabbath making a record in one day, or oh, the Beatles used to make a record in a week, or right, it's incredible. Yeah. You know, oh yeah, Black Crows they recorded Southern Harmony in eight days. Yeah, that was after touring for fucking five years. Right. There's there's a difference. I mean, Sabbath had probably been in a in a garage for two years. That's why. I mean, I just read a, a interview with Robbie Krieger about the first two Doors albums and why there's, and my daughter was just saying, I love the first Doors album. I'm like, it's so amazing because they played it five nights a week at the Whiskey for a year. Right. You know, but you're, you're talking about Mike and I coming together on songs that I just recorded three weeks before we did the record and he's just hearing them. That's not necessarily a recipe for a killer record. You know, that's just, you know, you're really going on a lot of intuition and instinct. So it really is, it is all about the vibe at that point. So fortunately, it kind of came together, and then actually, so to get back to the timeline, I didn't touch the record for another year um, because there was no business propositions. It was just a little bit kind of like an idea. I had no recording um, facilities to kind of go into to work on it, and I eventually got my house uh, rigged up for something, and I had been working, honestly, with Lisa Marie Presley um, playing piano wow. and touring with her, so... I was, you know, I was kind of trying to do other things because I did, you know, have a job and I wasn't doing anything with Big Elf. So eventually, it kind of, you know, this early, uh, earlier in 2013, the ball, the ball really started rolling with Inside Out, and uh, we got got things kind of rolling. So about, you know, April to November of this year, I was kind of working on the record in and out of touring with Lisa. So having someone like Mike involved, uh, did he bring anything? to a specific song or a section or, or, or something that, you know, was different than what you guys had done before where he was like, you know, maybe you should try this. And did that influence anything as far as the songs? Yeah. I mean, I think, like I said, there wasn't that much time to, um, for, to, to look at the songs and um, to, to write anything or um, there wasn't, there wasn't that much time to collaborate, but we did have a couple of days to kind of rehearse the songs. And, you know, cause I of course didn't, I mean, if, if you know the song, say like alien frequency has this amazing Keith Moon Portnoy type drum solo, if you will, breakdown with uh, the guitars and everything going crazy. Um, and there's some other bits from Mike, you know, definitely goes into Mike Portnoy realm. I think a lot of people thought he was coming in. He, he thought he was coming in with a single rock Tom and two floor toms, like a bottom kind of setup. And I had kind of surprised him with uh, four rack toms and two floor toms and, you know, stacks and cymbals and a china. And, you know, I, I really kind of took the handcuffs off and said, you know, I just want you to be you. Oh, Don't cool. worry about the big elf DNA. I'll worry about that. You just do your own thing and let me handle the, the formula later. Um, and I think that chemistry really worked out because then I think he felt more at home. I said, like, you know, double kick. Just, just do your thing. Like it won't be a collaboration if you're like trying to be Big Elf. Like the whole point of this album, I think, is to not do what we did before. Yeah, so you know what? Couple... You can and you can hear uh, you can hear his playing on Control Freak. It's the only song I've been able to hear, but you can hear his playing, and it it still sounds like the band. So I think that was that was yeah, good yeah. It, it, and you know, and there's some, there's some more pyrotechnics yeah. on the record. You know, there's some other stuff. Um, 
that's happening. That was my goal with this because I knew working with Mike wasn't going to be working with like working with just your average drummer. You know, there's going to be a charisma there. There's going to be a persona behind the kit, especially when I, you know, like I said, take the handcuffs off and don't say, you know, play like this. I just, just be yourself. That's what I said. And, um, I, but I knew that there was going to be, you know, haters thinking that Mike was going to ruin it or, you know, and that's just all bullshit. I mean, his, some of his stuff is, is brilliant. I mean, it's like the songs literally could never be another way. He, he delivered 200%. Um, but it's, 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 I, that was my goal initially was that, uh, a very high marker, yeah. but you know, for me it was dream. Like my favorite albums is a Dream Theater and Avenge. So it was like, I, I just wanted to, if I could get Big Elf up there on that level, so that people would say, "Wow," you know. I don't know if his fans would particularly. I don't know if his fans think Avenge is one of his best because I think his fans usually kind of get more into the the really really heavy proggier stuff. Right. Yeah. Probably. That's probably. Big, El- Big Elf is really none of that. Big Elf is just. Big Elf is the origin of where, you know, prog rock and, and rock and roll and psych and all and all that stuff should be, which is just music. It's well, you not... guys musically really fit into your own little window, I think. There's no one that sounds like Big Elf, really, in the prog kind of world. We don't really fit in, into... It's it's difficult. I mean, I think we can play with prog bands, and I think we could easily play with the band, you know, stoner bands or, you know, kind of metal doom bands like Ghost or, you know, that kind of stuff or... But then I think we could play with Mars Volta and things like that. And, you know, it, I, it's a weird thing. Like in the old days, you know, Electric Light Orchestra would open for, yeah, for, for, for Deep Purple. Right. You know, it didn't have be to be like... That would be a great show that I would go to. <laughs> no, it is a show. There, I, have a, I have a bill, a poster bill from it. Really? Um, nice. Yeah, it was... Um, there, there's a lot of cool... cool and, 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 you know, before it was just rock and roll. It was like, you know, you, you could have... Well, of course, yeah, if you saw... You know, an early version of uh, Sticks opening for Crimson, or you know something like that. That that would be you know prog rock, but it didn't have to be so genre specific. Like you know, just metal bands. You know, I I think when you go to see a bill and someone's like slightly different but they're good, um, then you then 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 it op- that's the whole point is you're open to something kind of new. And, and, and speaking of the cruise, I mean that there's a lot of different variations that are that are fitting into this. There's a whole bunch of different kind of prog thing. on the right. cruise. Yeah, I mean they, there's a, they've covered it all. Yeah. So yeah, we're going to be one of the more raw, um, I think, heavier elements of that cruise. Um, so is this going to be the first time? Uh, I'm assuming that you'll be doing the new stuff live. Uh, this on is this it. Thing? Yeah, this is the. <laughs> this is the pressure cooker. <laughs> yeah, first time, first time with Mike. Could be the last time with Mike. So yeah, it's it's a it's in a, on a boat, no doubt. So it's going to be literally insane, to be honest. Anybody uh, you're looking forward to seeing, particularly on the on the boat? On the boat, yeah, I'm definitely I definitely want to. I'm going to see the uh, Port Noise PSMS and check out the Deer Hunter. Haken, let me see Haken. I, we, they opened for us when we were in England, and they I must have checked a few things of theirs online. They've been doing really well. King's X, of course. Um, I, there's so many bands. <laughs> it's, I, just, it's, 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 I was just looking at because you know, he just added like 18 other new bands. I know. 
Yeah, it's 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 a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to be with my family, so I'm going to be trying to do something, <laughs> trying to do something really amazing on Big Elf time because you know when 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 a dad or a husband goes away on tour, it's never even though it sometimes pays the bills, it's not always, you know, you're away. So this is kind of a cool, unique moment to say, like, hey, I'm doing a big elf thing, and we can also be together and do something. I've done one, it was called Rocket Sea, and it was, it was a ferry between Finland, uh, Helsinki, and Stockholm. So you kind of leave at, you know, four in the afternoon, and then, you, and then you're, you're out at sea the whole night, and I think you get in at, like, 10 in the morning. So it's yeah, not a 24-hour thing, but it's it goes the, the whole time. And the dynamic was, you know, you do your show, but this is going to be four days with all the fans, all the bands. So it would be interesting. To, I'm, I'm sort of interested to see the interaction. I got a couple emails. Somebody saying, hey, you want to go rent some boats and go jet skiing or something? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you kidding? <laughs> So it's so that what, a, like a random fan just kind of sent you that. Yeah, he's like, he's like, dude, I'm gonna be there. Let's go get some. Jazz. I don't remember what it was. A couple of people were like, what are you doing? You know, it, it'll be interesting to see because that that dynamic is, you know, I always try when we're doing a show, we always try to come out and say hi to the people that you know want to meet us or say hi or get something signed or just you know, ask questions or just hang out, whatever, as much as you can, and. um those those moments are you know it's pretty minimal it's like 45 minutes you know an hour because you got to either got to get going back to the bus or load or just get going right so this interaction thing will be it'll be a trip it's going to be cool man listen uh, yeah. i want to thank you for for speaking with me it's a lot of fun and uh, yeah, well, i awesome. i wish you the best on the album man looking forward to hearing it i'm going to send it to you so be awesome. on the lookout for it i'll probably send it like we transfer sweet appreciate it man thanks man all right, I'll see, see you on, on the boat. See you on the boat. Get your <laughs> uh, get your seasickness uh, right. groove going. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, man. <laughs> All take right, it man. easy. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Damon for the interview. We're going to close with a track off the new Big Elf. This is Control Freak. For upcoming news and interviews, please visit theprogreport.com. Thanks. I'm a control freak And my gaze is chewed stone I'm a control freak And I chew yet to the bone I'm a control freak And you best do what you're told I'm a control freak And my touch still seems to go to go to go